Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fusion Underground. I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez. This is episode five. Episode five. We had to double check real quick. Check the notes. Yeah. Is that right? <laughs> episode five of the Fusion Underground. Uh, well, you know, and uh, we, we had a fun one last week. A little, a little bit serious. Uh, a little bit. We're, we're back yeah. for another one. We got all kinds of hate mail from that one. That one was that one was fun. Fantastic. But, um, and keep that coming because that's awesome. Yeah, keep it coming. It's good stuff. But uh, here at the Fusion Underground, we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions. The, uh, the focus being on principled. Principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission, as we know it, is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Jason Moret. But today, we're doing something a little bit differently. We have a special guest, our first, our very first special guest, uh, the one, the only, Chris Anderson. Chris Anderson, he is originally from Flagstaff, Arizona. He now lives in Mesa, Arizona. Ugh. He is a graduate from Northern Arizona University. And he spent a decade in public safety before getting into his current role as an emergency manager for a healthcare company here in the Valley. He's married, has one three-year-old daughter. He enjoys history, politics, travel, spending time outdoors, long walks on the beach. Oh my God. Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, how are you doing, sir? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, well, we're, gr we're, we're glad to have you here. We brought you on because our topic for today uh, is actually all about mentors and mentorship and what that's like, what it's, what it's for, is it valuable, are there, are there things that are bad about it? We just kind of wanted to explore that from a variety of different angles. Um, Jason, this was originally your topic. You wanted, you, this was your idea for a topic. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what you were thinking of when you, when you thought of this? Sure. Yeah. Um, something actually I was looking at is, you know, I feel like right now, especially in our society, mentorship is, is kind of a lost art. And I, I want to dive into a little bit on why that is. I mean, I have a handful of theories, you know, but um, when, when you need to learn how to do something, there was a time where we would ask, uh, you know, a, a relative, a friend, a neighbor, show me how to do this. And it seems like anymore, the first thing we grab is a phone or a computer and look it up on YouTube and, and kind of get a walkthrough on that. And, and me personally, that almost made me a little sad um, to think about. But um, as we've already discussed, I'm a little bit more of an old soul in that regard. 
So maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe having that kind of instant information and technology available to us can actually propel us forward. So I really kind of wanted to expound upon that and, you know, who are our mentors and why are they important or are they even anymore? So that's what I was thinking about. Fantastic. That's awesome. Okay. And I, I really liked the, the topic. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, and you said, let's bring on Chris. And I said, yeah, let's do that. So, uh, so Chris is here. Uh, for those listening, um, you can always check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash forward slash AZ Fusion Underground. We do have a YouTube channel. You can get to the uh, to our YouTube channel off of Facebook there. Also, if you just go out to YouTube and search for Fusion Underground, we pop up. <clears throat> you can also catch our videos on BitChute. So we're also there. Um, you can find all of the links to everything that we have, including all of our podcast RSS feeds if you just want the audio version. Uh, we do have the podcast available on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. So we're publishing out to Stitcher now. We had, we had several people originally when we started this uh, saying they wanted to get it on Stitcher. And so now we are there as well. You can catch all of those RSS feeds off of our main website at fusionunderground.net. Um, you, can, you can reply to us on, um, on Facebook. Uh, you can respond right to this video uh, or anything else on, off of our Facebook page. Um, you can send us hate mail. We welcome any and all hate mail and we do read every single one that we get. Uh, our, that email address is contact at fusionunderground.net and you can find us on Twitter at the FU Brothers. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> Jason's proud about that one. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get into uh, before we get into the topic of of, um, of mentors, uh, because we have a special guest on, um, you know, we we've been trying to do this thing. We didn't do it last week because it was a very serious topic, and we we was late. We didn't get started until really late uh, recording, and we just kind of jumped right in, and we spent gosh, an hour and 45 minutes talking about the riots and everything going on in, in the country. Um, but normally, Chris, normally what we do is we try to like, we call it like our palate cleanser, if you will. We try to have something funny, a few things that are funny, that are entertaining, just to kind of get everybody in the mood. But what's interesting is I have to be a little careful with that because <laughs> some stuff is, well, it's copyrighted material. So if I put it up on YouTube, then I get flagged for cut. So, you know, it, it's, it's a little interesting trying to find that kind of content. Um, but today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do something a little bit differently. I've got, since you have a background in, um, in public safety, you're in this, uh, this type of crisis management type of, uh, type of work, I went out and I found a bunch of really kind of crazy, obscure laws that exist on the book. So what we're going to do is we're going to play something called the blank game. I don't know. Maybe we'll come up with a better name. You guys tell me what you want to call it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm actually going to read a, I'm going to read a sentence. And, and when I say blank, okay, let me finish the sentence because sometimes the blank comes right in the middle. Sometimes it's right at the end. But let me finish the sentence and I'll say blank. And then each of you will get a few, we'll get a, we'll get a few seconds to, um, to figure out, like to try to answer or fill that blank. What do you think is actually missing from that statement? Jason doesn't <clears> understand. You're looking at no, me like no, you no. don't understand. No, 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 I got it. It's a fill in the blank idea, but yes. um, you prefaced it enough. Now, now I'm almost worried. And plus I feel like I'm an underdog in this because uh, Chris has got me beat on topic content. So, okay. Well, let, that's let's, all right. 
Let's start off with an easy one. Um, you guys probably know this one. Uh, I recognize this one when I heard about it, uh, when I read it. Um, so let's start off with a, with a local one. You guys ready? You guys ready? Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Go. Right. In Arizona, in Arizona, it is illegal to own more than six of blank. Jason, what do you think? Uh, wives. <laughs> <laughs> more than six wives. Chris, what do you think? Oh, uh seems to me i remember we had some obscure law about camels so i'll go with camels 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 and wives you both are incorrect the correct answer is dildos <laughs> in arizona it is illegal to own more than six dildos or now what is the appropriate penalty for having a briefcase full of bobs i'm curious I have no idea. okay i don't know I no idea. Let's hope uh, nobody uh, raids your house. Public explanation. <laughs> you have to stand on the courthouse, courthouse steps and explain to the public why you need more than six. Right. How do you, how do you enforce that? Like, I don't even understand how you enforce something like that. Okay. It's, it's, there, it's, there's it's, a story there. There's a story to each and every one of these dumb laws. <laughs> and these stories generally have somebody's name attached to them. So yes. I, I would love to find out who, who these laws were made after they had an issue with, uh, with that person. Yeah, right. Here's, yeah. here's, a, here's another one. Here, number two here. In Arkansas, in Arkansas, it is illegal to mispronounce blank. Chris, I'll start with you. What do you think? Uh, name of a city. I'll, I'll say Fayetteville. All right. Jason. Uh, tractor. Tractor. In Arkansas... <laughs> You both are wrong. In, oh. Ar in Arkansas, it is illegal to mispronounce Arkansas. <laughs> you can't call it you can't, Arkansas? You can't, you can't call it Arkansas, no. <laughs> okay. Or else what? <laughs> and is it, do you have to be a resident? Because what if I'm traveling through if and I'm on the phone through? and I say, yeah, I'm in Arkansas. You know, on the phone and somebody hears me, they lock me up. Chris, thoughts? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, public shaming. I, I think that's what, what it comes down to. Or it's their ability to know who's from there and who's not. They will flog you on the public square with their five dildos. Their five dildos. I think Arizona has, has a valid case, though, because how many uh, local places uh, are commonly mispronounced in Arizona? I mean, you've oh, got Mogi on Rim, Gila River on and on mm -hmm. uh -oh. i mean we we could just make <laughs> we could make a really lengthy list you know yeah. penalize it all penalize yep. it all five dollars per mispronunciation right. every time you say ajo exactly <laughs> yeah <That's right>. ajo. <laughs> how about how about this one this this one uh this one is interesting in new york in new york it is illegal to congregate in public with two or more people while each wears blank Jason, what do you think? Clown outfits. <laughs> Clown outfits. <laughs> Chris. Uh, kilts. That's actually a good answer. I like that answer better than clown outfits. But again, you both would be wrong. Wrong. <laughs> You've got a common theme already. Yeah. Mimes? In New York... In New York, it is illegal to congregate in public with two or more people while each wears face masks. 
A little bit of irony right there, don't you think? Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, hmm. well, start, start locking up from the top. Yeah. <laughs> See how long that lasts. <laughs> Trickle down enforcement. That's right. Let's, let's go to Oklahoma for this next one. In Oklahoma, it is illegal for a bar owner to allow anyone in their bar uh, to allow anyone in their bar uh, to pretend to blank with an animal. Wait, wait. <laughs> it is illegal for a bar owner to allow anyone in their bar to pretend to blank with an animal. This is a kid-friendly show, right? This is a kid-friendly show. <laughs> <but> you- <laughs> That's why the dead quiet. <laughs> we, we, we could go in way too many directions with this one. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Uh, I'm going to say uh, dancing. Can't okay. can't have a, an animal as a dance partner in a bar. Cannot, that's actually a good one. I like that one. Jason, what do you think? I'm, I'm going to say no drinking with your chicken at the bar. No drinking can't, with your chicken. Can't with drink with your chicken. Yep. In Oklahoma, it is illegal for a bar owner to allow anyone there in their bar to pretend to have sex with an animal. Now, that was the obvious one that we were both going to say, but we didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be the first one to go there. That's... God. <laughs> oh, that's good. All yeah. right, Dr. Ramirez, I have one for you, and this is a real one. All right. Well, these in are New all York. real. Oh, wait. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> in New York, it is uh-huh. illegal for you to wash your blank in an upstairs bathtub. To wash my blank in an upstairs bath- bathtub. Dog. I will say dog. Chris? Final answer. Uh, your, your underwear. It's your horse. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> See, it makes you wonder, like, how did Stories. they, did somebody actually, somebody had to have taken their horse upstairs and put their horse in a bathtub. Yes. And probably fell through the floor with all the water and the weight of the bathtub right, and everything right. like that. And that's how that law came to be. Well, of course, every one of those laws has, like Chris was saying, some sort of story attached to it. They, they don't put the, the warning labels, like, don't let your kid play in a full five-gallon bucket of water um, unless it's happened. Here's here's one. Here's a, this one's this one's kind of weird. In Washington, it is illegal to use blank to fit shoes. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Jason? In it Washington, is, it is illegal to use blank to fit shoes. Yeah, like if you're a shoe salesman, like Al Bundy, you cannot uh, use this to fit shoes. Spoons. Spoons, eh, not too bad. Chris, what do you think? Uh, you can't grease them up before you get them on. So I'm, I'm going to say some grease. kind of grease. Yeah, some kind of grease. Butter that's actually a, that's that's a good answer. I like that one. No buttering um, other people's feet. No buttering other people's feet. No, in Washington, it is illegal to use X-rays to fit shoes. <laughs> Okay, that's again, there's got to be a story. There's, there's uh, some unlicensed x rays yeah, going on. Yeah. I don't know. Radiated right. feet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what kind of shoe store you're going to if they actually have x ray machines. But uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of actually crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, enough of that. 
Okay. So the score uh, whopping zero zero, we all win. Whopping zero zero, <laughs> yes. Whopping zero zero. Okay, well let's get into the topic. Our topic uh, is about uh, mentors. What is a mentor? What is a mentor? Well, let, why don't we start there? Let, let you know what what is a mentor, Chris? What do you? What, what's your take on? Oof. Um, I mean, we're we're talking about a discussion uh, or or a topic that has so many layers. Um, I'll start with kind of what um, what my perception of a mentor is. I, I believe a mentor really um, unifies a lot of different concepts, including being a teacher, kind of a coach, um, but more than anything, a, a partner in in figuring stuff out. I mean, it's, um, you can have formal mentors, you can have informal mentors, but, uh, to be mentorship is, is all about, um, kind of partnering with someone on, on a journey of discovery. I know that that sounds kind of a ethereal or pie in the sky. Um, but we can drill that down later, but you know, it, it's certainly an educational thing. Start there. All right. Um, because I, I think it's important that we define, you know, we define terms so that we we have like we kind of set the stage. So we have that we have that idea of the mentor. But what about what about the mentee, Jason? I'm going to ask you this question. What? So we can't have a mentor without a mentee. So what is a mentee um, in this kind of a relationship? So you know, in in looking at it after we had our discussion on on what is a a mentor. You know, one of the things that I think I really honed in on was the idea that the, that the mentor and mentee, they form a, a real relationship um, where you've got one, we'll say more experienced or more knowledgeable person that is actually helping to, to really guide that lesser or um, even younger or less experienced person through their own development. And so for the mentee, I believe that there, there really creates a, a bond with that person. Um, and I think that's one of the things that I was really honing in on when we first looked at this is regardless of the usefulness of the information you're getting, the manner in which it's presented and, and how that, that person actually becomes an integral part of your own development really sets a tone for a true relationship kind of like what chris was saying it's it's a partner it's not just a teacher it's not just a coach it's not just someone who may know uh, a little bit more about whatever you're doing but somebody who can actually guide you through that and i had a an analogy that i'll i'm sure i'll bring up here a little bit later with with you as we start breaking down the divisions between those roles but really there's a um almost a childlike quality to the mentee position where they look to that person um, almost as a role model in a sense, not, not in every aspect of their lives, of course, but um, it, it really is a, a um, there, there's, there's an, in, there's a, an esoteric relationship that gets developed from that experience. So Chris, I'm going to go to you. You've, you know, we brought you on because um, you've, You've been in this kind of a role as a mentor for a while. Can you talk about your experience as a mentor? Sure. Um, uh, you know, I, in a number of different stages in my life, I found um, myself mentoring. And initially, um, I was kind of thrown into the into the role of, of a mentor-mentee relationship without having a lot of um, mentors myself uh, being able to look up to. So 
I made some pretty, uh, or I made some mistakes in my own assumption about what a mentor was pretty early on, uh, even in high school, you know, going through ROTC and into college with, with a number of different clubs and um, competitions and all that. But it, re it really started to, to become more focused in my mind when I started my professional career in, in public safety, started off in the jail and then um, later on as a patrol officer. Um, even before, you know, they, um, I got blessed as a, um, as a field training officer, being, you don't have to wait for another leader to assign you a role uh, as a mentor. Um, to be a mentor, you really need to be willing to step up to the plate as, as a leader, but it comes from a position of, of humility in that all you want to do is empower um, another person to make good decisions. You might disagree with the decisions they ultimately make. You might disagree um, with some of their premise or, or even some of their values. Uh, obviously, it helps to share a lot of those values, um, but it's important to, to approach that mentor-mentee relationship um, from, from a mutual position of trust that you're not going to necessarily judge them for getting things wrong initially because you may have more book knowledge or, or even more uh, street smarts, as, as I would say. But what you do have to offer as a mentor to a mentee is context. Uh, context to make decisions, context to understand knowledge that, that's being thrown at you, uh, especially in a fast-paced environment. And what, what I really saw that relationship built on was that trust that, look, you're going to make your own decisions. My job is, as a mentor is to come alongside of you and um, give you space and, and listen to you and listen to your rationale. And um, sometimes uh, a mentor can play devil's advocate um, all day long and it can get kind of annoying. <laughs> I, I know in, in some of my uh, earlier days, I, I, that's, that's what I did. Um, but you really have to read your, your mentee as well. And it, and um, to me, th that relationship that you start to build um, with an individual is unique to, to each mentor-mentee relationship. Um, so it, as I've, um, I've probably trained officially six to eight or had my hand in, in training six to eight people professionally and even now as an emergency manager I'm working you know with some students and some interns uh, who want to learn the profession um, and it doesn't have to be this 20 30 year old veteran as a matter of fact th those those folks being mentors sometimes it get there's a lot that gets lost between generations um, there's there's a unique opportunity for someone who may only have five extra years on to, to come alongside of somebody brand new. Uh, so to me, a mentor-mentee relationship can be a, a very diverse set of circumstances. It can be official, it can be professional. Um, but cycling back to, or circling back to what Jason was saying at the, at the very beginning of the intro of the show, um, that, that relationship that you're building with someone, um, it, it really is something that's, that has to be mutual in, in trust and respect. Um, and I, and I think mentorship is evolving. Um, it hopefully isn't going away. I would say that there's a lot of, um, there's certainly a lot of reason to, to believe that mentorship is diminishing in, in the modern world. And that could be uh, due to a number of different reasons. We can look at 
you know, trade skills uh, in the United States uh, rapidly evolving? You know, what trade skills, how, how do you train uh, new trades? Um, to me, it, it, that mentor-mentee relationship probably developed in, or, or the idea of a mentor-mentee relationship developed in a lot of those trades um, where you would have to spend 20 years learning to become a master at, at um, something very special. Um, that you would be one of the very few in an industry that could do something to that level. Um, and then it's since evolved into leadership and military and law enforcement and all of these other different um, uh, industries. And I think each one of those has its own take on it. And, and certainly even within my own experience, um, looking at other relationships that people have built, they they come at it from a different and very different um, tack than, than I would. And I think that is actually adds a lot of value in having a lot, you know, people don't have to have one mentor. People don't have to have one mentee. You can have, um, you can have a lot of diverse relationships that you can build with people. That's my, my first uh, stab at, at the subject. No, that's good. That, that That's really good. So you, you know, there, while you were talking about that, there was a couple of things that you mentioned in there that I, that I want to unpack a little bit, um, if you don't mind. Uh, so you, you did mention that you don't necessarily have to have the same values as your mentee if you're mentoring. Um, we live in, a, in, a, in an environment now in our society that is becoming or has become increasingly politically correct. Um, are there... Are there concerns? Do you have concerns? Do either one of you have any concerns if, 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 if a mentee or a possible mentee does not align with you on values? Is there a potential for conflict there or is that an opportunity to enhance your own growth as well as your mentees? What are your thoughts about that? Jason, Jason it looks like you want, yeah. you want to say Ooh. something. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you've got something to say, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anybody out there that doesn't know me knows I wear my emotions on my sleeves. And I try to actually mitigate my thoughts first and let things settle. But um, my brothers know me too well. Um, you know, I, I think there's always opportunity for us to grow with people of diverse opinions. <clears throat> there's always an opportunity to grow. However, I will say... A, that I believe having at least similar values and principles at hand lend to a more ease of bonding in that, that necessary relationship um, and can more easily develop from that. Now, that being said, I'm not saying that just because somebody else um, believes something different than I am, we are not going to be able to converse from each other and we can't have that relationship you have, if they are truly values, which are at odds, it can hinder that bonding relationship that, that will allow for uh, uh, the free transfer of information and experience. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're onto something there it, it, in that it certainly cr creates a lot of friction or tension, um, maybe initially. But again, um, Mentor-mentee relationships don't necessarily have to be easy. Um, some of the the most learning I've I've ever had is from people who um, 
come from very different perspectives. And, and I want to, I want to make a distinction between um, values and ethics. Um, you can have a set of professional ethics that are non-negotiables. Um, and as long as you provide the context with what those ethics are and um, what the expectations are, you can have values-driven discussions and, and have debates and have a lot of um, interesting conversations about where someone is coming from when, when they say, my value system is built on XYZ and somebody else's is built on ABC. Um, there, there are commonalities in almost every culture in every um, way of life. And it's a matter of finding those commonalities and, and opportunities to bridge. Um, so you can have good discussions about what it means to have your values support your professional ethics. And I'm, and I'm talking in the context of a, of a professional mentor mentee relationship. Um, when you're, for instance, you're talking law enforcement, um, some people have very strong family values and some people were never raised with those family values, but that doesn't mean that they are immoral, um, uh, from, from the face you know, on, at the face value of, of them as a person, it means that they just have different values that are driving them to make as good of decisions as they can. Um, I'm not saying there's, there's not room for people to be good or bad because there certainly is there, there is that spectrum of, um, people not having value systems grounded in what the, what the cultural ethos is, what the cultural, um, you know, the morality is, uh, and that's where we're at odds. That's where I would say it's a lot harder to bridge between um, a, a social moral fabric and an individual values-based um, discussion or perspective. So in a mentorship uh, or a mentor-mentee relationship, you're looking at having a discussion about um, what it means to operate in the modern world, either professionally or personally. And if you don't understand what their values are, even if they differ from you, you're not going to be able to listen and engage with them as a person. Uh, to me, one of the most important principles of being a mentor is taking the time to listen. You're not it's not a one way communication dump where you're just trying to fill them with information. You know, in some cases there's a lot of stuff that you have to get across, um, get across and inculcate in them in terms of, um, a lot of experience. I'll, I'll give an, you know, a field training officer perspective where you have 12 weeks to build enough professional competence in someone that they can stay safe and they can make good decisions on their own. But if you don't take the time to find out why are they in the job? What brought them there? Um, who are they as a person? You're not going to be able to frame or give reference points uh, that they can grab onto. Um, I, I kind of use a navigation principle. If you're not giving them or if you don't know what their north and south compass are, you can't give them directions. You can't give them any kind of navigational reference points with what's professionally acceptable and, and uh, some context to make some good decisions. Um, you're trying to graft your, your um, resilience into them to give them uh, reference points and to give them the ability to, um, to 
learn on their own uh, in a very you know tight timetable in some occasions. And if you're not starting from that point from from a, a listening perspective, then that relationship isn't built on trust, in my opinion. Okay. Well, and, and I can I can relate to some of that. And and I was not by any means saying that if you have different values or different beliefs that you can't have that relationship by any means. Um, uh, one of my <laughs> my my very 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 good friend um, and mentor uh, in the fraternity, brother Cal, has different values at heart than I do. However, um, I look to him as a mentor in many different capacities, and in I would uh, defend him vehemently against attack from anyone. Um, and we have a very strong relationship, so that can be built. Um, but we have other things that allow us to find that common ground to actually be able to look at that honestly. And from that place of humility that you talked about, Chris, I think that that's important too. So. So do either one of you, particularly Chris, since you do this probably more on more frequently than any, than either one of us, I would say, um, do you, do you set up rules with, uh, with a new mentee? Let's say somebody comes to the, and you've, reach this accord that you're going to start mentoring somebody. Do you set up any rules with that person about how the relationship is going to evolve or what's going to happen when you're working with that mentee on certain topics? Uh, I've seen this done a number of different ways and I, and I think it is smart to always establish kind of what the expectations are. Um, the real difference here in my experience versus a, a number of other experiences I'm aware of is that, uh, you know, a, men, a mentee could be the one to approach a mentor and say, hey, I really value you, your, your experience, your opinions. I'd like to learn from you. And it can develop organically over time. In other cases, you may have a professional expectation um, where you're going to be uh, a, a somebody responsible for training them. And there are, I, I would say, unfortunately, more often than not, people who are trainers or teachers or um, in this professional relationship as a coach, a teacher, uh, a trainer, they treat it only as a professional responsibility, um, not a personal responsibility, not a calling. They see it as my job is to teach this person. And I think that's a lost opportunity. Uh, you can teach somebody for years without ever mentoring them for a single day. And I think there is an important distinction to be made here between that, that dump of information that can occur in a teaching or, you know, um, in a uh, um, trainer role where you're just showing how to do a, a specific task or you're, or you're giving them book knowledge versus coming alongside of them as a human being and treating them as a unique person who, who comes from a unique background, unique set of circumstances, and ask them what they want to get out of the relationship. So in, in my context or, or in my experience, I would always ask, what do you hope to get out of this? Um, and I will, and I'll either, well, I will always honor them and what they hope to get out of it. If they're hoping to just 
get through, you know, the next 12 weeks in, in the case of being a field training officer or in the case of an internship, um, they, they want to get their college credit. They want to uh, do some projects and call it good. Then that's their decision because I can't force a, a mentor mentee relationship on, on somebody. But will it, what I will do is offer them that extra, um, that extra partnership and that's what I try to put into context for somebody. Um, so yes, there, there's an important conversation that has to occur. I think, um, on the front end of it, unless a mentee is coming to a mentor and even then it should be a conversation about what both parties, um, can, can have some mutual expectations about what the relationship is built on. Um, but otherwise I, I think it, it falls into a different category. That's not, mentorship it's it's a coach or it's a teacher it's a it's a trainer all of which are incredibly valuable and i don't mean to diminish those those relationships at all um, but i think they are distinct fundamentally distinct so what do you get out of being a mentor i mean why why should somebody why should anybody want to be a mentor what what's in it for them um is is there anything in it for them uh, it, I, I think it, there's an intrinsic value there. It, that's like asking somebody, uh, do you get anything out of believing in God? Or do you get anything out of um, seeing your children grow? I think there is there's a value, an internal value that, and, and I don't mean to make this kind of a, you know, a hero worship thing or, or anything like that, but a, a, a mentor places them in a position to be looked up to. Uh, it places them in a position, not as, not as an inhuman or, or um, larger than life character, but as a real person. You have an opportunity to show your weaknesses, your own struggles, the things that you've had to go through as a person to get to where you are. And that's, that is, in my opinion, one of the biggest opportunities and one of the most important things one human being can do to another or for another person, um, it's to give them the tools and the resources and the context to be successful in their own right. What you do, uh, and again, this is not um, a parent-child relationship, in my opinion. A mentor-mentee relationship, um, to me, is something that allows you to pass on generational knowledge, um, not just skills, but knowledge, truth. Um, and they can interpret what that truth means to them in their own generational right and their own. Um, um, it, imagine passing the torch generation to generation. If you don't have mentorship, you're not, you're not giving anything from one generation to another. You're not giving them um, what it means to have lived through your own life. I look at my grandfather um, who lived through the Great Depression, who was a World War II combat veteran, who, who had a, a remarkable career uh, in, in aerospace uh, after, um, after his war service. And had I not approached him and asked him to, to bear his soul to me, I wouldn't have had any idea what it actually was like to live in his or, or see the world through his eyes. I would be able to read a history book, but I wouldn't understand, I wouldn't see, I wouldn't feel. And that I think is the unique position a mentor has to give to a mentee is context. It's that, it's that rich experience. It's the, it's the full book of knowledge 
that you can give to somebody. Um, so what do you get out of it? I think everything. I think you get almost a, a spiritual relationship, a, a, um, a higher calling out of, out of that um, bond with, with another human being. And it's not built on on any predication that you're that you're better than them. It's not built on on um, the idea that uh, that you've got it all figured out. If anything, the mentor has greater hopes for the mentee because they can give that mentee opportunities that they may not have had. Um, in a non-prescriptive way, you're not trying to prescribe them you know, everything, but if you can give anything of yourself to give them a better advantage to build upon or to um, iterate upon your life or your experience, then you've made a, a better version of yourself. You've made a better version of, of the world. And I think that's where evolution comes from. Um, so it, again, that's probably a way um, more philosophical response than you were initially looking for. But that's what I what I feel you get out of uh, out of that type of um, relationship. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke the bear a little bit here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you laughing about? Oh, nothing. Go for it. <laughs> just, all right. Just my comment about poking the bear. Yeah. I'm re- uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, Chris, while you've been talking about, about, you know, mentoring, I can't help but think of a, of a, of a story that I just read over the last couple of days here, um, taking place actually over at Arizona state university. Um, I have some initial thoughts, but I'd love to get both of your thoughts on this. So if you're, if you're unaware of this particular story, the, the, ASU has a, a very um, uh, renowned, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, College of Journalism there at ASU, the Walter Cronkite College of, College of Journalism. And the university recently hired on a new dean for this position, or for the school, for the college. Now, word got out who this person was. She's supposed to start... I think she's supposed to come on board and start like July 1st or something like that or sometime in July. Um, and I can't remember where she's actually been a professor at before, but she's coming from out of state, um, moving to Arizona to start in this new role. And many of her prior students have contacted ASU, um, encouraging the university to fire her um, because she was, she, it, she has performed um, microaggressions on some of her past students. Now, uh, the state press, Arizona State University's student newspaper, had a write-up about this, and I was reading this today, and I don't have it in front of me, but I'm just kind of going off my memory here on that article. Uh, some things that other that prior students had complained about were specific to her critiques, this woman's critiques to black and gay students. Okay. And for example, she told some of her black students, Hey, you know what? You can't go on air with, with natural hair. Um, you have to speak proper English. If you want to be on television, she told uh, a gay student, a, a male gay student that he could not be as flamboyant with his voice and, and, and he had to change up the way that he was speaking so that he had a chance to get 
um, you know, to begin a career in television. Um, there was criticism of some of the students that she did not bring black students under her wing as men as mentees. And I'm and I was reading this and I'm thinking, well, isn't she not doing that? If 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 she knows if she knows that hey, you're not going to get a, a a television role, you're not going to get a newscasting role or something like that if you don't speak proper English. And if she's trying to coach them on speaking proper English. Is that wrong? Now, I will say for full disclosure, I have no idea what she's told these other students, right? And they could be very egregious. But reading the article seemed, I'm like, are these really that bad? So putting, putting that aside for a little bit, what if you do have to tell your mentee these very uncomfortable things that they have to struggle with and overcome so that they can do the job that they want to be able to do and so that they can be successful? Where does a men, what is a mentor, how does a mentor balance that? Should they balance that, especially with regard to things like race or sexuality, which could come into, come into play. And now this woman's career is on the verge of, uh, of being, is on the verge of the garbage can right now. I mean, they're trying to get her fired before she's even started. So what are your thoughts about having to tell ment mentees very difficult things that they need to deal with themselves so that they can in turn be successful. How does one do that? There is, um, uh, I'll, I'll start by saying, if the relationship is built on trust, um, then, the, then a mentee will know where it's coming from, where advice or, or where knowledge is coming from. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in, a, in a professor role or a teacher role, oftentimes you, you don't know. And, you can't account for where students are, are coming from when they're going to hear something. Um, what I will say is that, it, that I uh, ascribe to, um, uh, there's a, a figurehead in behavioral health. Her name is Brene Brown. And she says, um, clear is kind. In other words, radical candor um, uh, allows for someone to tell the truth boldly. Um, but, it, but by telling the truth, boldly you are being kind to a, a person because what we don't want to do is lie to an individual and say you you can come across any way you want you can do whatever you want and expect to be successful in an industry that quite frankly has very rigid concepts of of um who they want on camera right wrong or indifferent and that's where i think it's important to tell people is the way you are perceived we're not making judgments here right wrong or indifferent that's the way an industry works. And that can be applied to almost any, any industry. You talk about um, uh, why do all dental offices look the same? Dentist offices look the same. Why, I, I mean, start from a very boring place and build from there where you go, there's an expectation people have. Again, right, wrong, or indifferent. We're not passing judgment on what that is um, in an in a educational setting. We're just saying what the facts are. And if your hope as, uh, as someone, of, uh, someone who hopes to push the boundaries of what that is or, or you know, push progress in, in your mind, whatever progress is, then you need to also be very clear if you're teaching somebody with and coming from that perspective that I understand you, you want to make progress in this area. You want media to be more reflective of what your values are or who you are as a person. What you need to understand uh, 
is that you you have a decision to make. You can either choose to be a martyr and not get a job and to be who you are as, as um, you know, or wear yourself on a sleeve or, or, or put your entire personality on your sleeve, whatever it is. And again, no judgment there. Uh, you coming across to that individual and telling them you have value as a person who you want to be is your business. I can disagree with you or agree with you all day long, but the advice I'm going to give is the same or the context I'm going to give is the same. In the, in this instance, I would say that um, it's probably the way it, it was delivered. And if it wasn't, you can't control somebody's perception or reaction of, of what you tell them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I was in a profession where you have to have a very thick skin about how people perceive you um, and what, what you're doing all the time. And you just have to, um, try to inform and try to build that resilience and that thick skin um, in somebody you're mentoring, but you can't control them a hundred percent of the time how they're going to perceive what you say. Um, so in this instance, again, we don't know exactly what was said, the context it was said in, right, she right. could have been, she could have been saying, you know, it, it sucks, but you're probably not going to get hired if, if you wear your hair that way. And again, that's not, that's not her agreeing with, the practice of those students not getting hired for working, you know, for wearing their hair that way. That's her sharing what the current reality is, which right. if I'm sending my kid to a university, I want them to get a great education, but also have an understanding of how the real world works, not live in that academic bubble. So again, not, not knowing the, the full story, um, there's a way to do it. And unfortunately, even people do who do it a hundred percent the right way, um, are, are going to get, um, are, are going to get rolled over sometimes. They just are. Yeah. And, and I find, you know, in my role, I work as a coach and I spend a lot of time working with executives, working with teams. And my focus is to try to um, make them perform better at what they do. And it's, it's amazing that there's a lot of need for that kind of, of coaching in the workplace, in the office space. One of the things that, uh, that I often struggle with is um, people tend to sugarcoat their words. They tend to use less inflammatory words um, in order to save people's feelings. Well, sometimes, you know what? You just can't save people's feelings. You have to be, in order for them to understand and in order for them to change behavior, you have to just put it in black and white and be very honest with them. There's a way to do that professionally. And there's a way to do that with, um, with respect and with kindness. But at the same time, you have to use the words that actually mean what you're trying to say. If you don't use the right words, and if you just use kind of flowery language, then you run the risk of that person not understanding what the hell it is that you're talking about anyway. And the behavior continues to perpetuate because they think they're, you're, you were talking about something else. And so you're not on the same page. So again, I have no idea what this, what this woman told her students. Um, but, um, you know, for the sake of argument, let's say she, she does know what these students need to do to be successful. Um, if she told them what they need to do to be successful, then I think she's doing them, she did them a service as opposed to just, because if she didn't care, my, my opinion is if she didn't care, she probably wouldn't have said anything, would have let them go right on 
right on out into the real world and then have all their dreams uh, and hopes shattered the first time they try to get a position. So Jason, you've been quiet a little bit. What do you think about all this? You've been kind of like, you've been making these, these faces like, we're going here. Uh, he already went there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm refilling Jason. I, before, before you start, I've, I've got to refill. Uh, yeah. I know it's coming. <laughs> well, I, okay. So this is the Dean of journalism at a college, right? Yes, right. at ASU, Arizona State University, my alma mater. So let's just pretend that this was the new CEO for IBM. Would we be having the same discussion? No, the answer is no. Of course not, because no, we, are we are not talking about a... Um, an organization, which let, I mean, let's be honest, most college institutions are very, very um, liberal in their methodology. And, and um, I do believe that because they are catering to a very young um, generation, which uh, <clears throat> anymore, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't say anything to anybody without offending four different people, even when there's only two people in the room. And, you know, there's a, there is a level of um, trust in that mentor-mentee relationship, which we have talked about quite a bit that I think is vitally important. And yes, brutal honesty is a part of that. I'm sorry, if I'm, if I'm mentoring someone and, I, and let, let's just pretend, it's, you know what, I'm going to take it in my family just because that way nobody else can get offended out there. But if I have a son who's a midget and he wants to go play basketball for the NBA, guess what? Somebody's going to have to tell the boy he's not going to get there most likely. Now, I can love him all I want and I can encourage him to follow his dreams, but somebody for the love of God has got to do that. And teachers, just to break off one part of the mentor role, as we talked about, Teachers are bound. They can't really do that. They teach the information. They convey the message. They get that across. The coach kind of helps them along. But a mentor has to be the one to step in and say, look, this is the reality of what you're talking about. I love you. You make the decision as your own. But dagummit, here's where it's at. How you tackle that is entirely up to you. And we've got a whole lot of snowflakes out in college right now who are going to have to learn that lesson that life sometimes is going to have to give you some brutal truths. And as we develop as human beings from that collegiate to professional and adult level, how we overcome those things makes us adults, makes us those professionals. And you know what? I'm sorry, but kudos to the dean. And if she really is as awful as those letters are saying, we'll find out because that will yeah. follow her and let her fall by her own faults or succeed by her own merits. Sure. Um, so I want to throw this one at you guys. Uh, is it different to be a mentor of someone of the opposite sex? Are there things that you worry about? 
<laughs> and Jason about coughs and falls out of his chair. <laughs> mm. are, are there? Th- I yep. mean, uh, and the reason why I bring that up is because uh, you know, was it two years ago or something like that? Mike Pence, our vice president, made a made a comment about how he doesn't. Uh, he's never alone um, with with women other than his wife, unless his wife is present, right? Then he, he doesn't close the door with, with any other women. He does this out of respect for his wife, okay? Um, but there, there are gonna be situations where you might have somebody who is uh, on your team um, or somebody who reports to you, or maybe they don't even report to you, but they've, they sought you out because of your skills and what you can hopefully teach them as a mentor. and. Hopefully you can guide them to where it is that they want to go. Um, but are there different approaches or does it even matter? Does it doesn't matter at all? Maybe it doesn't if somebody is the opposite sex. Chris, you want to take that one? Sure. Um, <laughs> I, I will say that, uh, again, going back to one of your first questions, um, that you have to have an expectations conversation. And you also need to know that some people come in with different value systems. I'll look at the vice president's value system. I don't pass judgment on it. He's made a values driven decision that um, he has boundaries with the opposite gender and, and what uh, relationships he allows himself to have with them. Um, and he doesn't preclude himself notice from having a mentor mentee relationship with them. He just places boundaries on how that can happen or, or how, um, they can be physically in the same space or, or whatever. So I will, I will say from my personal experience, um, it's actually related to the last question that were the last um, uh, commentary story that you brought up with, with the ASU Dean. You have, um, you have someone who may be, from, may be of the opposite gender. Uh, and in my last profession in public safety, um, female police officers are perceived by the general publicly different, differently than male police officers. And that's not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I saw it as, a, as an opportunity, as a good thing. However, you know, they, there are pros and cons to that perception. Um, being able to have, again, radical candor with someone and tell them how they're being perceived by the general public is an important element to that relationship saying, you know, when, when you are getting in front of a room of people and you're, and you're talking to them, you sound like an arrogant asshole. If you tell people that they may say, "I, I don't believe you or I don't care, but you've given them an opportunity to know if, if they have never been told that, and we all have our blind spots, myself included, sure, we sure. all have our blind spots. I think a mentor's job among a lot of other things is also, also to be that person checking their blind spot saying, Hey, you've got a semi hiding in your, in your blind spot right here. Don't merge over because you don't necessarily know what, what that person doesn't know about themselves. And if you don't say it, they may have never had an opportunity to confront that part of themselves. Um, by, by my own experience, um, having had a, a, a professional um, trainer role with, with several um, females, I, I actually got a lot out of those relationships. 
I got to learn from their perspective something that I had never considered personally because I, you know, I, I've been comfortable in my own skin in a lot of ways and, and I've been uncomfortable in my own skin in, in a lot of others. And some of the, some people from opposite genders, opposite races, um, come at things from a whole new perspective and that's an opportunity in my mind. So yes, the relationship is different um, because how can it not be? But I think the expectation is you're still doing everything you can to come alongside of them as a partner and say, look, we're going to work together to, to make you the best version of yourself possible. Uh, but that includes saying, yeah, you know what? People perceive you differently and that's going to help you and hurt you simultaneously. And it's about being honest with, with that individual. Um, female officers, for instance, in some cases, not all, because I've had um, uh, experience of working with some females that could whip most male officers, but uh, smaller stature. So maybe uh, more of an opportunity for a suspect to want to fight with that person. But at the same time, from uh, from uh, I'll look at a at a rape investigation perspective. Do you think a female rape victim wants to necessarily talk with a male police officer right after uh, right after they've been victimized? Probably no. <laughs> so here's a great opportunity for a female officer to be able to have a have a professional impact right. that that is something I can't bring to the table. Right. And you never uh, and, would be able to bring to the table. No. Yeah. Well, it, it is the 21st century. Maybe. Yeah. You know, take it easy. Uh, Don't get too out of whack <laughs> over there. <laughs> so that's part of that relationship that you're talking about. Sure. So, you know, there are a lot of people who do not like having difficult conversations with others. They don't like the conflict that it can bring. So what can you do as, uh, or what, what advice do you have for people who are seeking out a mentor or people who are maybe their mentors now to prepare themselves to be able to have those kinds of difficult conversations? Because being a mentor is not all about rainbows and unicorns and go do this and everything will be golden, right? There's a lot of correcting and course correcting and teaching and sometimes having those difficult conversations. And so what, what are things that, that you recommend people do, if any, to overcome that fear of conflict? You're not doing anybody any favors by obscuring the truth. Um, but you also have to understand that your truth is relative uh, and they may or may not care. They may or may not do anything with what you have to tell them. But if you're honest with yourself and your role as a mentor and you want to be the best mentor you can be, then you need to take it upon yourself to, to get over that hurdle and share difficult truths and, and, and share difficult perspectives. Um, Again, we all have our blind spots and we all have, uh, in my opinion, it never comes naturally to tell someone that you care about that they're wrong or tell someone that you care about, about that they're not meeting expectations or they're not doing the best, um, they're not the best versions of themselves. You know, look at it from a married person's perspective. Is it, you know, is it, um, easy to hear that you're not measuring up or is it easy to tell some, is it easier to tell or is it easier to hear? And, and again, I think that's a, um, something that 
we as a society have done a pretty poor job of understanding that type of relationship and understanding how course corrections can be given or advice is because people so often are immediately defensive. Uh, and again, that's where I think that that mutual trust has to be built before, you know, beforehand. But you're not doing anybody any favors if, if you're um, obscuring or, or um, sugarcoating, you know, their performance or, or who they are as a person. Um, and the same goes from, from a mentee relationship. I think a mentee, if they feel like a mentor is holding back, the mentee needs to encourage the mentor, look, I can take it. Um, I've had that or I've had that conversation with um, bosses of mine in the past. Like, look, I would rather hear it from you now than six months from now when I've been doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking that it's okay or it's good enough. And not all of a sudden it comes to a head that it's not been good enough this whole time. And that's where the betrayal comes in. If I had an opportunity to know about what I was doing, that I could have been doing something better or even, and, and here's the, here's the other piece. I'm looking at that relationship as a mentee. This is an opportunity for me to exceed expectations or grow as a person and, and to become better than average, better than the, the um, bare minimum acceptable level. So how can I trust this relationship to get me to where I want to be if I can't even be told that what I'm doing currently isn't um, adequate? Coming at it from that perspective. Okay. Jason, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, you were kind of, whoo. Yeah. Looking like uh, like a little nervous there. <clears throat> what, what are you? No, thinking? no, no, no. Um, well, you sorry. You started. Uh, you brought up the <laughs> opposite sex, the opposite, opposite sex gender, and, and opposite gender, <laughs> and and you know it's actually interesting. So I was um I was looking around um and doing a little uh I don't want to call it research. It makes it sound like we actually prepare for this kind of conversation way too much because I'm I'm not going to say that, but um, I did see a couple actual videos for um, some discussions on mentorship and in particular the ones uh, coming from the collegiate level um, in relation to I know um, a couple different school of businesses actually really promote that that seems to be actually where a lot of the um, uh, mentorship programs almost filter into is actually in, in a business relationship so um, and it was interesting kind of like what Chris said where um, um, the opposite sex can bring different perspectives to the table in, in unique situations. What struck me as interesting um, almost immediately that I realized was all of these programs, I would say almost exclusively pair a mentor and a mentee of the exact same gender of together. Now it's perhaps because that is a, at a collegiate learning level that is a, an easier relationship to start and, and to get that um, um, commonality together. Um, one of the things that struck me overwhelmingly um, was how, how many women, especially in the business field, are pushing the vital importance of mentorship for women to even have a chance in the workplace. There was this overwhelming sentiment that if um, a man can survive on his own, but if you're a woman and you are trying to go throughout business, you have to find a female mentor 
immediately. Otherwise, you have zero chance of success. And that was astounding to me. Um, and I'm not making assumptions. I mean, shoot, just type in mentorism into uh, YouTube and see what you get. You'd be shocked. Um, and that was where the conversation I think you and I initially had with, is that something that's um, vitally necessary? Is it just simply easier? Um, you know, and I was looking at some of the mentors that I have had in my own life and overwhelming, they are all male with, with one exception. Um, and I didn't know if that was something that is absolutely necessary, if it's coincidence, or if those are organic mentor-mentee relationships that naturally form. And in that development um, process, um, we tend to, I guess, kind of cling to those who could teach us all of the life perspectives that would go that we could then emulate. And if that's the case, then that would make natural sense that we would be more naturally gravitating towards someone of the uh, same sex. You know, there, there was a saying that I remember reading, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing it because I don't remember it actually verbatim, but it was something like, uh, if you're, if you're, if your mentor, if all your mentor does is sing your praises, then it's time for you to find a new mentor. Um, and, and, and I think, I, I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's an interesting, because I think at that point, maybe your mentor at one point did challenge you, but maybe now you have kind of risen up to the level that your mentor is already at. And now it's time to move on to find somebody else who can bring you a little bit further along. Right. And we see that in sports all the time. We see a sports team will bring on a coach and the coach might rebuild the team up to a certain point and they just can't get the team any further. So that coach has to, that coach gets fired. Unfortunately, you know, they get fired, they get canned, whatever. And then the owners bring in a new coach and that coach tries to bring them to that next level or sometimes they slip back. But um, we see that in sports quite a bit once, once athletes, because it's at least something that is easier to measure, right? Physical performance. We can see the physical performance of people and see that they've kind of plateaued and how do we get them to go beyond that plateau, especially if they're still capable Will we bring in a new coach to do that? So how do you how do you assess whether or not your relationship with that men, with the mentee has reached its limit? I, I, I think it, there is an important role that a mentor has with a mentee in that they should be a cheerleader. They should absolutely be one of the loudest um, praisers of successes for their mentee. Because when a mentee is doing something right or is rising above expectations, that mentor needs to celebrate that loudly. Um, because otherwise it's a pessimistic relationship instead of an optimistic one. I, th I think that's one of the, one of the biggest focuses that, that uh, a, a mentor should have is, is an optimistic relationship. And optimism isn't again, sugarcoating everything, but I think what, what we're talking about here, just like the political world that we live in right now, the echo chambers that we all live in, you're absolutely right. If you have found yourself in almost direct alignment or the stars are in direct alignment with your, your mentor um, as a mentee, and you're not getting, 
you're not getting pushed outside of your comfort zone. You're not getting pushed to learn something new. And this is where the diversity of, of having multiple mentors in your life, even sometimes simultaneously, is really useful. If you find yourself in alignment, that person doesn't suddenly become diminished. It means that they have given you a gift uh, of... Um, of partnership, it, it means that they have done most of what they can do, and that should be celebrated, not, oh, it's time for me to move on, cut all ties. No, it's time to have an honest discussion mutually and say, look, I, I feel like I need to learn some new things. I need to get, get outside of this bubble because you pushed me to be a better person, and I feel like I'm not getting pushed anymore. And maybe that's an honest conversation for a mentor to grow too because, you know, it's a, it's a two-way street. Uh, maybe that mentor needs to go, oh, you know what? You're right. I've been slacking. I've, I've kind of um, just seen you as a successful person and, and you're doing great things. And, and I figured, um, you know, there's not much more I can do. And that's a great conversation to have. I don't think people should shy away from that. Um, but we can see that time and time again, if we're not, if we're not pushing ourselves to hear new ideas and new perspectives, um, then something's wrong. So, you know, you, you mentioned something interesting about being a cheerleader, and I, and I absolutely agree with that. I, I think you're, you're in that relationship that you have, the mentee should really, they should almost want the praise from their mentor more than they do anyone else. Um, anyone else, it's like, yeah, okay, but if the, my mentor says it, holy crap, I know I earned it. Right. But I have to, I have to look at the other side of that coin, too your mentor should be the one who is, I would say, I don't want to say critical or the most critical, but at least honest with that criticism as well. Um, because without it, I think you diminish the praise that you do get and vice versa. And, and I think that that's important that, that, that mentee know um, in whatever kind of relationship that you do have, that they are going to get praise from you when it's earned and criticism when it's needed, because without the other side of that, I think you, you lose, you lose value in either one. Did, did you guys play sports growing up? I did. Yeah. Professionally? No, no, not professionally. <laughs> did you have a coach? Did you play, did you yeah. play little yeah. league or, or yeah. anything like that? Yeah. It, you, you hit the nail on the head, Jason. When we're talking about, we've, you know, I, I can speak from experience. I had some really hard coaches, football coaches, wrestling coaches that were just brutal. They were tyrants in the training room and practice sessions. But when we won, one of the, one of the biggest, the, the pride didn't hit from winning. It came from the coach praising you and still giving constructive feedback, right? Even in victory, there are lessons to be learned. Even in winning a game, there's stuff to unpack and, and learn about, hey, what we could have scored more points, but we still won. But when you feel that pride and that sense of accomplishment that you rose to meet those very challenging high expectations, wow, uh, what a great feeling. And, that, and you're, you're right. There is a balance there. There's a balance between um, constructive criticism uh, and praise. Because it, it, but if you all you get is the tyrant and you're never, you know, nothing is ever good enough, that's that's just a pessimistic, toxic relationship. Uh, I, I think there is that balance there. Um, and, and sometimes we are our own worst critics. And when you have a, a mentor that can come alongside of you and say, No, what you did was great, you could, you know, it, 
you could go up and give the best public speech of your life and you've been working to become a better public speaker and you're really hard on yourself learning how to, how to get in front of a room and talk to people and you get off that stage and you're kicking yourself in the butt while people are out, you know, are cheering for you and cheering, you know, your speech or your performance or whatever. It's the time for the mentor to come in and say, no, you did a great job. And to snap that person back and say, wow, what I'm doing, I'm getting somewhere with this. I'm getting somewhere with all this effort I'm pouring in. Um, because sometimes we don't hear that enough. We don't hear or celebrate our own successes enough to feel like we are accomplishing um, milestones on our journey to success, whatever that, that journey is. So that's why I think that cheerleader role is so important. Again, balanced with everything else, but um, we want to make sure that, that we're not overly critical on ourselves either. You, you know, I was thinking while you were talking about this, I was, I was thinking about when I was, uh, when I was in boot camp, and I had two, two company commanders uh, and they were, they were brutal to us. They, they, they truly were, they were brutal to us. Um, you, you know, the, the typical, the, the typical idea of, of a drill instructor from boot camp. I mean, these guys were it. One of them, one of my drill instructors was, was a Navy SEAL and he was a short little dude. I think like no, no taller than like five, five. And wow, he was shorter than you. Yeah. He was shorter than <laughs> me. And, and we were all like, everybody was completely terrified of this guy. Right. And he was very, he was very calm and very calm spoken, not necessarily soft spoken, but very calm spoken. And then my other company commander was, he was just a cyclone. He would come into the barracks and it was just, when he came in, it was assholes and elbows and move and, and he was screaming and yelling and right in your face, you know, four inches away from your face, just screaming at you and everything. But what was interesting for me is after all of those weeks, several months of being in boot camp, when we finally passed in review, you know, these guys never, these guys never talked about how good we were or anything like that. It was always, you're never good enough. And, and, but constantly working and drilling us, right. And drilling us, drilling us, drilling us. But it was that day when we finally passed in review, when we graduated and we're walking in front of, you know, in front of the stands there and we have to turn to salute the Admiral of the base. And there amongst the crowd are my two company commanders standing at attention, saluting us back because their company is walking in front of them. You know, that was huge. Like that, what that moment, it was that moment that these, these two guys who pushed us to bring us together as, as a unit and push us through boot camp. The fact that those two guys were there and in the stands, standing at attention, saluting us, um, just, it spoke volumes. It was, it was a moment of pride that, you know, wow, they, they, they brought me into the fold and, and they respect everything about who we became as individuals. Um, I just wanted to share that because I think it's really interesting, that kind of dichotomy. But I think there's a difference when you go into the military. You're, you, you expect to be treated like crap through, <laughs> through boot camp, right? right. You, can't, you can't really get away with that if you're a, a lawyer or an accountant. <laughs> Yeah, there is that common expectation, and and I think we have a little bit of a shared experience there with you know police academy boot camp that kind of thing. Where you're, you're absolutely right when you're when you're um, when you're going in with the expectation where you're not going to hear anything really positive for weeks or months on end, and you finally get that seal of approval at, at the yeah. very end. Yeah, there's something special. Yeah. Something special about it. 
Definitely. So in that analogy, let me just ask you, um, Lucy, do you think, or would you consider those you're there to be mentors or would you consider them more of a, a coach or a teacher in that kind of role? And, and does that matter or how is it different? Um, you know, that, that's a good question. Uh, I, I don't, you know, thinking back on that, I don't really see them as, or saw them as mentors to this day. I don't really see them as mentors per se. I, I, I saw them more as teachers because they, they literally taught us how to be in the military. I mean, they taught us how to wear our uniforms, how to store gear. They taught us how to march. They taught us how to do all of those things that we needed to do to be successful. But they didn't do it in the typical mentor role because they didn't spend one-on-one -on -one time with us, right? It, we, we were all punished. We were all terrible. We were all meatheads. We were, <laughs> you, you know. Um, so I would kind of put them more in that capacity of, of a coach. They had a very specific job to do. And when that job was done, they moved on. They moved on to the next, to the next company, right? Um, so I think it's a little bit, I think that relationship was different because I didn't have... Uh, and I was the company yeoman. I was the, basically the company clerk and I didn't want that job at all. Um, I hated it, but I quickly learned that it came with a lot of really cool privileges. <laughs> um, so I learned to embrace it a few weeks in, but, uh, um, but I just, I valued what they, what they taught us and, and how they taught it to us actually, you know, how they, how they taught it to us because what I loved about it is they hated us all equally. Right. Um, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't find that respect in, in us until we were, we were molded and we were then capable of going out into their Navy, right. And be sailors because at the same time too, they're, they're teaching us things that, um, so that we can protect other sailors lives and it could be their life one day, right. Uh, on the ship. If something happens, I mean, you know, you get a, you get a leak on a, on a, on a, on a, on a ship uh, and by a leak, I mean like a steam leak that can, that can be deadly. Um, you know, sailors have died from a little pin pinhole in, in the, in the, you know, the steam piping and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's not just about being at war. There are things that happen on, on a ship that are very deadly, that can be very deadly. And you need to know who's around you to be able to protect you or save you in certain situations, even if there's like a fire on ship or something like that. So, but they got us to that point where they said, yes, you are now capable of being on a ship with me. And that means something that means a lot. When, when you graduated from boot camp and you went to uh, tech school and, you know, mm -hmm. out, out into mm -hmm. the fleet, um, did you find a mentor, uh, you know, an NCO that, that, took you under their wing did were you able to find someone that that walked alongside of you instead of that top-down relationship as a teacher or coach uh no i i never really did uh i'm not i'm not saying other people didn't or may you know other people may have found a mentor that way i think uh i think at the time i was really young i was very naive about a lot of these types of things and i never really thought like, should I have a mentor? Should I find, I never really thought about it that way. It was for me, it was just get, get through the day, you know, get to the next day. And when can I get out of here? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's really what it was about. What do I, what do I got to do to get out of here? You know, do my time. Do you think you would have benefited from uh, a 
mentor if one had approached you and, and taken you under their wing? Oh, I de- is, absolutely. Would you have embraced that relationship had, yeah. had that happened? So yeah. it, in that case, do you believe that it is incumbent on the older generation or on the um, more experienced uh, in, in a professional capacity to approach the younger or less experienced people because they might, might not know the value of, of that relationship or, or of the potential of a mentor mentee relationship is an incumbent on those leaders to say, you know what, I need to take this person I see value and, and potential in and bring them uh, under my wing. Yeah, I, I do. It, it is incumbent. Yeah, I do. I, I think, um, I think, if, I think it's encouraged because there's, is when somebody is new to a particular role or new to an environment, they don't know what they don't know. And, um, you know, there, there are two kinds of, there are two types of knowledge that people bring into a, into a work environment. There's, um, you know, there's, um, there's very explicit knowledge and knowledge that is easily taught to somebody else. I can, I can teach you how to pull a lever, right? Um, but I can't necessarily always teach you when to pull that lever. Um, and, and when to pull that lever might change based on, as you mentioned before, context. Context might change, the environment might change when you pull that lever or just how far you pull that lever, right? And, and so that type of knowledge is tacit knowledge. It's, it's knowledge that's not easily taught to somebody else. They have to really be in that moment to feel it, to sense it, to develop that experience, to be able to pull that. And that, I think, is really where the mentor bridges that gap because the mentor can come in and prep somebody for those kinds of situations or can run drills with that person and get them used to, you know, start sharing some of that tacit knowledge that this person has accumulated over a lot of, a lot of time. They have a lot of really great experience that just, you can't write it down in a book and just give it to somebody. And even if you did, gosh, that book would be so dry and boring. Nobody would read it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for that, for that person with, ter- with a, a ton of experience to write it all down and just say, here, here's all my thoughts and learn it. You really need to guide somebody through it. Jason, I mean, you're a salesperson. Uh, I hate sales, uh, but it's a skill. It's still a skill that somebody can develop, but you being a, being a salesperson, you kind of know how to approach people or how to navigate certain situations that I would be absolutely clueless about but if I were going into sales, I would want somebody like you to kind of guide me and show me the ropes and teach me about here, you did this and here's how you should have handled that differently so that I could acquire those skills. Because otherwise that person, you know, somebody new in that role, they're really just kind of drowning and they might have an aptitude for it. But if they don't find the fun in the work, then they're probably going to leave. And I think, you know, for me, if I had somebody be a mentor for me when I was in the military, I probably would have made it a career. And, but, and instead my whole, my my whole thinking was, no, I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of here because if I, I think if I had a mentor, they would have said, no, you don't want to get out of here because look at all this great stuff. You know, here's a lot of great stuff that you're going to miss if you leave too soon. Yeah. But I'm going to challenge you brother. Cause I love you. Okay. You, you said earlier that, (laughs) If somebody would have come up and approached you to be a mentor for you, that you would have embraced that. I call shenanigans. No, you wouldn't. 
they would have had to approach you and approach you and approach you and approach you and approach you because I know how you are. You're, you are. You're, you're just like that. No, I got a job to do. I'm going to do my job, and then I'm going to get the heck out of here. You're still like that. I love you for well, it. No, but. I, and, <laughs> but here's the thing. At, when I was 19, 18, 19, I, that, for me, that was different. For, for example, oh. the only reason why I, I played football or ran track is because somebody came to me, a coach came to me and said, Hey, we think you would be great in this role. Why don't you come out? And I said, okay, sure. I had another, I had another teacher approach me and say, Hey, based on your, you know, your skill set, blah, blah, blah. We want you to organize the blood drive. And I was like, okay, sure. So I do think at that age I would have, I would have said I, I, because I was primed, I was ready to listen. I, I'm older now. I'm not ready to listen anymore. You don't listen to anybody. Now. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta entice me with more than just, Hey, I think you might be good at this because my first reaction is, well, one, I know you're full of shit. And two, <laughs> I don't have time for this. Why, why should yeah. I do it? Right. Yeah. Um, so I think at that age at 19 years old or something, I 20, uh, I probably, I would have been, I was, I was at a really good age where I would have been much more receptive to it than I okay. am now. Well, that's kind of like the difference between a job and a profession, right? I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, a job, you're, you're um, making widgets, but a profession, it's about a deeper knowledge. It's about a deeper understanding. And you can make a job or profession, but there's something that happens in that, in that gap. Um, in that understanding. And I, and I would almost say that there's a similar transition between a job to a profession as there is between a teacher and a mentor. You have to have a, um, someone who's willing to give you that broader scope or the, the trajectory and say, look, this is where you can be. So uh, all of those folks that came to you in, in high school and said, you can do these things. Had you ever thought about those on your own? No. Because you didn't know to even think that that, that was a potential. No yeah, I had no idea. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, so yeah, I, I, it was, and it was great for me that they came to me and told me that when I was in high school, because I, I got a lot more enjoyment from high school out of that. If they hadn't, I probably just would have been a kid that went to school, went to class and left and went home. Uh, and I wouldn't have been as involved, uh, involved in a lot of things. Right. Like, I think um, that whole idea of a, of a mentor, you know, having, having the um, almost responsibility to approach the, the other person, uh, the mentee, and say, that you have potential, I see it in you, you may not see it in yourself. Um, I want to help uncover that potential and help you develop it. Yeah. Um, it you're almost a, a development coach in, in that sense. You're, but what, what do you get out of it as, as a mentor? Is it going to help you be more professionally successful? I, I think so. But you know, on the face of it, there's this intangible thing where you, where you go, I'm going to put in all this extra work. I'm going to put in all this emotional energy where some professions it's already emotionally draining enough. Why? If you don't already have the heart of a teacher, you know, that servant leader mentality, why do it in the first place? You, well, you know, that's an interesting question because there are a lot of people in, especially in office settings, that they get very entrenched into the day-to-day -day work. And um, there are millions of Americans who, who leave 
leave their daily job. Well, they're not quit, I should say, but they're looking for something else, uh, something else to, um, to sort of complete them in their professional development. And these people often go and they, be, they start working for a charity uh, where they volunteer their time doing something. There, there's a lot of situations where people do that because they're looking for something else that their, that their job doesn't give them, but they don't necessarily want to leave their job. So they go to a, a charity organization, they volunteer their time. There's a lot of people that get to a certain age that they want to be able to give back like that. Uh, I think if they could, not, and I'm not trying to discourage people from not helping charities. I'm, you know, far from that. Uh, but I think people can find some of that satisfaction by becoming a mentor and taking people under their wing and helping them grow. And it gives them that sense of um, a, a different type of, of accomplishment because as research shows in, in office settings, you know, a pay raise only goes so far. Um, and eventually that's just kind of a diminishing return. It's nice to get a pay raise, but after a while, it doesn't really matter how much money you're making per se. Uh, there's, there's still this vacancy and this void that people have in their lives and they, they're looking for a little bit more, something different, something more that's fulfilling than just more pay. Not saying pay is bad. I think everybody's going to take a pay raise but it doesn't necessarily fill that hole or that gap that somebody wants in terms of contributing something to something greater than themselves. And that's often the development of another human. Ooh, we're right. getting really philosophical here, man, search for <laughs> meaning here. Yeah. The doctor. <laughs> well, and you, you talked about just that, that, um, that stagnation that happens between mentor and mentee already. But you, even if you're in a situation like what you're saying, where, you know, you're, you're doing the you're the day-to-day -day grind. You're getting through, and you, even if you're in that spot where you've you've kind of lost your own fire in that, I think that's an opportunity for you to look um, for an opportunity for you to be able to share what you know and take someone under your wing. And you know, um, I've always found when when you're actually teaching somebody else about some of the intricacies of your own um, job or your own life or your own experience or whatever it is, there's a there's a fire that actually gets built up in you. Um, even, even for those that aren't natural teachers. Um, I, I really do believe because it's, you're almost re-sparking a fire in you that's gone out from what you've already been doing. I don't care how much you love it. Everybody gets kind of worn out by the monotony of their day to day. And by actually going through that and, and revitalizing some of that in yourself, I, I can almost guarantee you more performance out of your own, um, your work endeavors. And, you know, Chris, you asked, you know, what is the, what does the mentor get out of that? I can tell you by teaching somebody else about what you were doing, you're going to find opportunity for you to improve on your own. And you, you surely will. You absolutely will. Um, even if it's not just in the professional sense, on a personal or internal level, you are going to improve. Right. You, you, because you have to stay current. You have to stay relevant. You have to embrace who you are uh, in that relationship. I, I think you hit it exactly, Jason. I, um, Holy cow. Uh, in, in, in my experience, uh, you're absolutely right. You, you can get lost in the day-to-day, -day and by taking somebody under your wing, you bring yourself back to um, the beginning of your own journey. And, and you go, wow, you know, this is how far I've come. Um, but also 
wow, I, I thought I wanted to be a lot further along myself and maybe it's time for me to push myself in, in uh, another direction or uh, push myself harder. So no, you, you hit it exactly there, there, Jason. I think there's a lot of benefit for the mentor as well. Um, some tangible, not, you know, some not so tangible. Um, but, uh, it, I, and I think it's different for every person. And I don't mean to say that everybody should be a mentor. Um, I, I really wish everybody had the opportunity to be a mentee because um, we could all benefit greatly from that. But um, not everybody should be a mentor because Agreed. not everybody is, is willing or able um, to put themselves aside enough. Well, and, and, you know, like we talked about before, there are differences. Um, and I think even people who maybe won't make the best mentors could still be phenomenal coaches and teachers. Um, you know, and, and I do think there's a, there's a big difference, a really big difference. I think we're all pretty much in agreement on that. You know, and I, I was telling you, Lucy, on the phone, I, I had an analogy for the, for the difference between a coach or a teacher mm -hmm. and a mentor. Um, and Chris, this is going to tie into you because I'm going to challenge you on something you said earlier. So get ready. Um, but, you know, um, take it. Uh, I don't know. Somebody's going to teach you about what did I say the other day? Changing your oil. I think I use that as, a, mm -hmm. as an example. Yeah. You, if you don't know how to do that and you actually ask uh, a friend or a neighbor or someone to actually teach you how to do that, they can come over and teach you that task. That's very short lived. They're going to walk you through what you need, what you have to do, everything else. Um, you ever ask your dad to help show you how to change your oil? He turns that into a whole life lesson about not just vehicle maintenance, but why, you know, that you should keep your house in good order and that uh, a man's only as good as the tools he has and that, you know, where are you at in your retirement fund? You, you know, this turns into a whole realm of um, grooming you and, and guiding you on your path in life. Um, and in that, actually, one of my first mentors I consider for me was my dad and my grandfather. And Chris, you said that a mentor really isn't or shouldn't or can't be a parent. Now, I'm not saying a parent by definition is a mentor, but I do believe that they can be. Thoughts? I think that a mentor-mentee relationship is not naturally a parent-to-child relationship. What I mean by that is, it's not a top-down relationship. Being a parent to a child is a top-down relationship. It does not mean that a parent cannot be a mentor to a child. But what I will say is that a um, that good parents strive to be both a parent and a mentor and a friend, because the, those are those are separate categories. Now the lines get blurred very easily, and I think that's a, a challenge on its own to keep those lanes and your swim lanes and, and your responsibilities in each of those categories firm. Uh, we hear it all the time. Parents fail at being parents when they're too much of a friend and parents Agreed. fail at being parents when they're too much of a parent and not enough of a friend. When you add a mentor mentee relationship to the mix, you need to understand that that carries with it its own specific roles and responsibilities that are outside of a, parental or even a, a friendly relationship. Can you be friendly? Can you be friends with a mentee 
uh, as a mentor? Absolutely. But when you put on that hat as a mentor or you put on that hat as a friend, those conversations look very different. Um, not always, but I, I think it's important to, to, dis, uh, to distinguish roles. And if you are a mentor and you're not, you know, you're not that person's parent, then you don't want to turn it into a parent child relationship. That's kind of what I meant by it's not a, a, a mentor mentee relationship is not a parent child relationship. Right. Can a parent be a, men, uh, a mentor to a child? Absolutely. My grandfather is, is to me the, you know, the, probably the best mentor I've ever had in my life and in a number of different ways, he uh, coincidentally taught me to change my oil. So it, it, <laughs> it is, um, it, it is absolutely something that can exist. It just, I think belongs in its own swim lane. So let me, let me ask you this. You brought up the, the idea about keeping, well, you brought up the idea of the swim lanes, which I really like. Um, should mentors, um, not associate with their mentees in a way that's too familial. And I mean by that is as colleagues, let's say that we're keeping it all professional, right? And as colleagues, you know, using the military as an example, in the military, the officers go to the officers club and the enlisted go to the enlisted club. They don't typically hang out together. Uh, they, they, they separate, right? So that they can, and, and they do that intentionally so that there are specific boundaries and the, the enlisted can, they, they, they essentially perceive their officers in a very, very specific role. So if we bring it into more of a professional role, um, is it okay for the mentees and mentors to go out to happy hour and for the mentor to get drunk and become stupid uh, and do all of those crazy things that, uh, that they might do on the, uh, you know, on their own. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. Um, but is it appropriate for that mentor to be, to be acting certain way that's kind of bringing them down a notch in front of their mentee? I think every time you blur the line, you diminish the role. Um, it, it doesn't mean that it can't happen or it shouldn't ever happen. Um, there are certainly times and occasions for, for a lot of things. I, I honestly believe that, um, yeah, I've, I've had beers with, with mentees uh, when we're both stressed out and we, and we need a, to just be people and, and be real. Um, absolutely, go, go have a beer together. Obviously, there there is an important uh, element to that where you have to keep your wits about you, and you and and you have to um, be um, ever aware that that there is a that there is a dynamic at play that you don't want to erode that trust, the trust that that mentee has placed in you to to look up to you and and to see you as kind of their their compass. Um, but you don't want to disenfranchise yourself so much from the person that they are that you're not real, that you are this person that, that exists only in a professional capacity or only in a, uh, in a teacher capacity. And, and that's where you, where you would be uh, relegated to just being a teacher, just being a coach. Now I will also say that it depends on, on if it's professional, if it is professionally sanctioned. So if you are a, um, if you are, a mentor as part of your professional relationship with that person, that professional relationship always takes precedence. 
um, meaning whatever your policies or, or your professional ethics dictate should always take precedent over your mentor-mentee dynamic. Because you don't want to, you don't want to um, blur the lines too much where you lose yourself either. I think there's an opportunity to lose yourself and, and your own um, compass. So, it, it like most things in life, it depends. So yeah, sure. and 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 I I can agree with a, the mentor mentee relationship, and it does. I think it depends upon if that is a a professionally sanctioned, as you said, um, relationship or not, or whether it's a, a personal drive where you found someone that you can latch on that can actually teach you, um, I guess, more of a general life mentor, <laughs> if there is such a category for that. Um, but I, I know when I was um, managing a business and, and I had people working for me, there were multiple occasions where they would ask, you know, hey, Jason, we're going to, you know, have a this party or this get together. Or we're going to go out for beers afterwards or whatever. And, you know, I'm, I'm unfortunately, I'm the boss. Uh-uh. I can't. It's it's not that I don't want to. Uh, I I really do appreciate it, and I would really love to, but I can't. I I absolutely one hundred percent cannot um, blur those lines. They have to be distinguished. Um, and it's 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 not a personal thing. Absolutely, and and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of a lot of good times I could have been having with some of the people that work for me, and they were good people um, that I would love to hang out with. But it's it's just a matter of um, uh, professional boundary. Matter of fact, there was a, um, and Lucy, you know this, there was a sports bar uh, just a couple doors down from the business that I ran. Um, and and I could go have lunch. That was okay. But um, on my, even on my day off, I remember my brother came up and visited me um, from Tucson and we went, uh, we wanted burgers and wings and have a few beers. And he said, well, what about that place right next to your work? Well, we, we can go there because you told me they had decent wings. And I said, yeah, but no. He goes, well, why not? I said, because I am not going to be there in the middle of a work day where anyone could see me and potentially think here I am trying to run a, a business and I'm having beers in the, you know, at noon or at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, there, there's a professional boundary line of conduct. And I think as a, as a mentor, you take on a similar role. I think that there are some, of course, exceptions to that. I, I think that the, the rigidity of that uh, role is a little bit more um, flexible. But, um, and it does, I think, depend upon the situation in which that relationship was established. Well, this is one of those things that, or one of those areas where I think uh, mentors can gain a lot of new skills. And that is... Um, I think as a, as a mentor, you're, you're always good mentors anyway, or if you want to be a good mentor, you should practice this. And that is um, doing a lot of self-reflection. And I think people can gain a lot of benefit from self-reflection and, you know, did I handle that the right way? Should I handle that differently with my mentee? Uh, are there, you know, am I challenging them enough? Am I giving them enough opportunity? Uh, am I allowing them to grow? Am, am I, am I, changing or modifying my leadership style based on the context so that I'm, I'm, I'm carrying out my role appropriately, or am I blurring certain lines? I think good mentor, I think good mentors are doing a lot of self-evaluation. Um, and that just helps them be, if they are doing that, not only does that help them become a better mentor to whoever they're mentoring, but it also helps them become better leaders in, in other aspects, right? If they're leading a large team, 
they can they're, they they carry those skills if they're developing those skills as a mentor then they're going to carry those skills into being a leader of people where they're constantly evaluating and thinking about how are they how are they behaving how are they interpreting things how are they reacting do i need to change a little bit here do i need to change here for this other person uh, I, I think you start paying a little bit more attention to people's needs, um, their wants and desires, and how you can modify your own behavior so that, because you can't treat everybody the same. And that's just, as a leader, I think most leaders know this. You can't just walk into a room or have a team of five different or 10 different people and treat every person exactly the same. You can't because that every single person has different needs, uh, is in a different space. They need different... Some people need more handholding than other people. Um, some people can graduate from the handholding to be much more empowered and independent decision makers in their role, but it, it, it might take time for them to get there and you need to be constantly evaluating yourself. And I think, so if, if you carry that characteristic of self-evaluation, self-reviewing um, as a mentor, I think that helps you become a better leader overall. Thoughts on that, Chris? Yes, um, I think you bringing up the word and, and and I didn't keep track, but I I I feel like there was if we had a word cloud uh, going on, um, we would have leader pop up in this conversation no fewer than you know a couple dozen times. Um, I I think we need to understand that. Um, that a mentor-mentee relationship is built on many of the similar benchmarks as leadership. Uh, one of my favorite books on the subject, um, Lincoln on Leadership. Uh, it, it is leadership from the perspective of how Abraham Lincoln um, led, not just as a politician, but as a uh, voice of reason, as a voice of of unity uh, as a voice of calm and as a as a mentor you need to be able to borrow a lot of different concepts and ideas from leadership in your relationship with your mentee um, a, a lot of the same ethos and the the professional ethics uh, there's a lot of similar dynamics at play so when you're when you're talking about building um, building on the dynamic of leadership, you're talking about what kind of leader do I want to be? And that is, you, you know, you, you blow up in Pandora's box right there. I mean, there are so many different ways to be a leader and there are so many different ideas and concepts on how to be a leader. But I think the, the one most relevant to the mentorship relationship is the servant leader, the, the having a servant's heart and going, it's not about me. It's about this other person. It's about how do I get, build and give resilience from my experiences into their own so they don't have to deal with the same crap I've had to deal with. You look at, you look at Abraham Lincoln. He was not trying to save the country for himself. He wasn't trying to save anything for himself. He wasn't trying to drive anyone away. What he was, was he was principled. He had principles, he had values, but he had a love of unity and the, this amiability between 
brothers and sisters of, of one place. And when you look at the, at, and, and I feel like I'm getting too ethereal, too pie in the sky here, but when you applying that same voice of leadership to your mentee or, or, or that, that dynamic, I believe you have to come at it from a, a, a position of, it's not about me. It's about the person I'm trying to serve. It's a, not about me. It is about the world that they're going to live in, not the one that I live in. That intergenerational transfer of knowledge, of truth, of compassion, of justice. We look at it today with all of the things going on in the world. Um, maybe we would have more tools at our disposal right now to get through all of the strife we're dealing with had we had more mentors telling us what happened in the 1920s, the 1930s, the 1960s. What we are experiencing today is not new or unique to, to the human condition. And we can get through a lot more as a people if we had more context. And, you know, circling back around to one of my favorite, you know, words, we would have a lot more. Um, and that's why I believe it's important to, to see it as intergenerational leadership and um, servant leadership. All right. Well, do we got some, um, we talked about this for quite a while. I think we covered it from a lot of different angles. Um, Jason, do you have any, any parting thoughts before we close this out on mentorship or being a men mentee or anything well, like that? Um, I guess just really one that that's been, that still sits with me. You know, we, we've talked, um, we've talked quite a bit about the, the mentor's responsibility and the mentor's roles and, and, and even a little bit about the mentee and, and who should be mentors. And, and we've really honed in a lot on, I guess the professional or business aspects of that. And those are, those are vitally important 100%. Um, but I would really challenge people um, and in particular anybody with an earshot. So anybody listening or watching this to really look at opportunities where you can put yourself in a mentee position and not in business, but in life. Um, are there people around you that you, you already know and maybe not, um, but who you feel that you can learn from find someone seek them out, somebody new or, or reestablish an older relationship maybe, um, and really try and develop that and, and build that up. Because I, I think most of us have opportunities to be a mentee to someone that we already know who would fill that mentor role and probably not only develop us as individuals, but help us really understand how much more is out there in in the people that we know, not how to go find out what we just don't yet, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I, I think technology is a wonderful tool, but it can be a debilitating crutch if we allow it to be our only source for knowledge and only source for uh, introspection or self-reflection. You, you can only get so much from a computer screen or, or a phone screen. Um, talk to your neighbor. You know, um, oh. hold a relationship up with someone else. I know for you, that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's terrible. Yeah. Um, Perish the I, I would challenge all of us out there. I, I would bet that there's someone who's might already be in a quasi mentorship role who we've really just never developed that 
that I, I would bet would really kind of open up your, your heart and mind to a whole new world of uh, personal development out there for everybody and probably spark some interest to you to, to share some of that knowledge with someone else. Good stuff. Chris, do you have any parting thoughts on, uh, on anybody who's seeking to be a mentor, mentee, or anything like that? Yeah, yeah I, I, think, um, I think we need to be bold and we need to go outside of our comfort zone and finding uh, mentors. Um, to speak to Jason's point, I think we need, we need collectively as a society and as a people to seek out those relationships ourselves, even if, um, even if we all agree on, on this show at least, that mentors should be approaching mentees. Uh, I think mentees should be more willing and emboldened to approach those, those mentors um, and not just from where they think they should get them, not just from their own profession, not just from their own work environment. Um, if there's anything that, that I think we could benefit from now, it's breaking down those silos of thought. We need to break down those silos because no one industry, no one, um, perspective has a monopoly on good ideas and on good experiences or perspectives. Um, so kind of my parting thought is think outside the box when you're trying to figure out who should be a mentor or who should be a mentee. Don't just go through the, the normal, uh, relationships of, of, well, this person works in my office. I'm going to, I'm going to develop a relationship with them. Find somebody else. Um, from a completely different discipline and, and build that relationship. I, th I think people will be surprised at what they get out of it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I just want to say for our very first guest, you've been a lovely guest and uh, I hope that we can have you back again on a future episode because it's been great talking with you. I'd love to, Heck yeah. I mean, I could sit here and talk about all kinds of other stuff. Um, but unfortunately we don't have all that much time and I know that, uh, it's getting late and I want you guys to be able to get some rest, but thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and, um, yeah. And so, uh, this, this episode will be coming out on Tuesday. Um, what, I don't even know what day that is the ninth, uh, coming out on Tuesday on the ninth. So it'll be available on our YouTube channel and everywhere else on there. So, um, you know, everybody, thanks for listening our fifth episode of the fusion underground talking about mentors, send us hate mail contact at uh, fusionunderground.net and be sure to hit us up on the Facebook page, AZ fusion underground for Jason Moret and Chris Anderson. I'm Manuel Ramirez. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. <laughs>